This time on Chew Diligence, has COVID-19 changed where you get your food? While so many restaurants are truly struggling, we talk to people behind some of our local farms and ranches flooded with new customers, like veteran and owner of Casey Cattle Company, Patrick Montgomery. New York City and California and some of the larger states in the country, um, we just saw this huge uptake in sales because customers can find the protein products in their grocery stores. And got milk or got waitlisted? Matt Chateau from Chateau Milk says he has had to hire more employees now that the demand for their delivery doubled. Um, while we hate the fact that they're on a wait list, we just want to make sure that we do it right. Adding other products from several local companies and delivering much more than milk. I'm not excited because they're a new customer. I'm excited because they trust us to bring them something in a time in which they're scared, they're afraid. And how the Kansas City Food Hub, farmer-owned and farmer-run, is pivoting from supplying cafeterias, restaurants, and grocery stores. That market pretty much went away a month ago. To working to bring their farms to your neighborhood. So we scrambled a bit, you know, and um, thank goodness for social media. I just put a question out on social media who might be interested in developing um, a neighborhood drop site. And the response has been incredible. I think local farmers across the board have seen incredible um, increased interest in their produce this year. Our special coverage during the fight against COVID-19 continues. Patrick, talk to us about what life has been like for you and for KC Cattle Company in the last six to eight weeks? Uh, it's been hectic. Um, you know, like most businesses that are either negatively or positively impacted, it's been crazy either way. So um, probably about six weeks ago when the first shelter in place orders started to come out, uh, New York City and California and, and some of the larger states in the country, um, we just saw this huge uptake in sales because customers can find the protein products in their grocery stores. So uh, it started to come to us. And uh, that's normally traditionally our, our slow time of the year. So it's been, it's been kind of crazy trying to ramp up and just predict and, and be intelligent uh, as a business owner throughout this entire thing. How far out is your, uh, you know, beginning to end product timeline anyways? Is it hard to ramp up production in a sense? Yeah, so one of the things we started doing last year is we shifted away from doing F1s on our own property, actually raising them, and we reached out to a ranch that we've worked with in the past that's uh, south of Abilene, Kansas, and uh, they started doing all of our F1s for us, and they, they have a lot more resources, and they have the animals available, and they took a pretty big hit uh, when this thing kicked off uh, because the restaurants was a big part of their business, restaurants and hotels. So we were able to kind of, you know, be able to take advantage of that and help them out and help out our processor who's also dependent upon restaurants. Um, so it's been kind of fun helping out the customers that's, or the vendors, excuse me, that have helped us grow in the last couple of years. Yeah, Jill, we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? Like pivoting from what they're, a lot of companies used to maybe sell a lot to restaurants, but now pivoting to farmers or other producers. Absolutely. Um, can we back up just a second and define F1 for people who may not yeah. understand that, Patrick? It's like the military. I just throw around acronyms, man, and, and nobody has any <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. So F1s are, uh, it's a term we use in the cattle industry. It basically means they're 
Wagyu and they're 50% some type of a traditional continental breeding cattle, uh, we use Angus. So they're 50% Wagyu, 50% Angus. Great. Now, how much of your um, pipeline was restaurant-based? Any of it? None of it. So we pivoted about two years ago. It, actually, right when Lindsay came out to do that story uh, for Channel 41, we had just gotten away from selling to restaurants and really focusing on the end consumer. And our whole business by accident was kind of set up for social distancing. And so when this thing kicked off, um, people really started to take advantage of it. So... I looked at your website and I kind of noticed there's nothing blaring about COVID on there. Um, is that no. just haven't gotten around to it? Is that that your business has not changed that much since COVID started? Yeah, so we're, we're a team of three, right? So there's three people that are packing all these orders here. Uh, so maintaining our six foot social distancing guidelines is, is pretty easy. Um, as far as putting anything up on the website, we really haven't done that. We sent out some email blasts just telling people we're thinking about them, but we don't we don't want to take advantage of this one way or another as a marketing opportunity because it's not right. This is a terrible thing for the country and there's a lot of businesses that are failing right now. So um, as far as putting something up that, hey, we're here to meet your social distancing needs, we just didn't think that's the right thing to do. So. What, so the way that your delivery is set up, is that the same way it always was or did you have to add zip codes and other... Um, features because I, I noticed you have a lot of zip codes in KCMO area. Yeah, so one of our goals for the beginning of this year was to grow that local delivery service. Um, so we actually started some radio advertising in January for the local delivery service here in Kansas City, and we added probably another 40 zip codes onto what we already had. So I think we do 74 zip codes all together in Kansas City. Um, and nobody really took advantage of it until this thing happened. So it only made up about 5% of our business and it's grown to about 20, 25% over the last two months. Now, before all this, you had started to make some national headlines with some of your products. Remind me, I know the, the hot dogs got big recognition, right? Yeah, so we, we thought we were a steak company until the hot dog article happened. So um, it was Food and Wine Magazine on the East Coast there and we sent a pack of hot dogs to them. And, we never heard anything from them for like three or four weeks. And then it was like a random Thursday in August, the first of August. And, you know, nothing was happening all day. <clears throat> and we were still trying to get our, our traction with selling to consumers. And uh, all of a sudden my phone just started blowing up. And within a 10 minute drive from my neighbor's property to our property, we were just like, we had 30,000 people on the website and that number just went up through the entirety of the day. So we had, I think it was a half million people visit the website in like 12 hours and we allowed back orders at that point. And um, so it almost killed our business because there's two of us and uh, we sold like 7,500 packages of hot dogs in 12 hours. And Oh my gosh. It's kind of, it's been that way ever since because our email list grew uh, from that single event and, you know, people came back to us because they love the product. So. Where do you think the bulk of your customers come from then? Are they local at all or is it all over? So Missouri is still our number one selling state. Um, behind that is Kansas and then New York and California make up the two behind that. So we still love our Missouri folks. So we don't, we don't spend a ton of marketing dollars anywhere other than Missouri. So. So what are your top products right now besides the hot dogs? Yeah, so th this time of year, we normally see a shift, right? Um, 
like rows sell really well from uh, October through January. And uh, we're still selling the rows fly off the shelves because people are trying to feed their families at home. Um, so normally we start traditioning it or transitioning and throwing those roasts into trim products like hot dogs and bratwurst and, and, uh, and ground beef and burgers. And we're still pumping out roasts because we can't keep anything in stock. So um, uh, strip steaks, ribeyes, and fillets are still our three top sellers. But behind that, it's obviously ground beef and hot dogs. So. Are people calling you for cooking tips because so many more people are cooking right now from home? So we just added a, a cooking page to our website. It, you know, we didn't really do anything to market it yet, but we were working with a, a veteran chef out of Wichita, Kansas that won like the World Food Championship or the top 10 um, last year for the Food Network. And so he had been pumping out all these recipes for us and we've been adding them to the, to the website. And uh, so people really started taking advantage of that because we, we saw some weird and unique cuts that you don't find at most uh, Wagyu mail order companies. And so people were like, how the heck do I cook a Wagyu beef tongue? So it was kind of fun putting some of that stuff up and help, helping customers. So, And if people haven't heard of your company, Patrick, kind of walk us through the why of how you started and your business practices and your work with veterans. Sure. Um, so I started the company in 2016. And before that, I, uh, we'll, we'll roll back to the beginning. I was a, a member of the 1st Ranger Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment out of Savannah, Georgia. Um, I did that for about four and a half, five years. And uh, when I got out, I uh, kind of went through this transition period where I thought I wanted to be a large animal veterinarian. I loved that side, but um, I just was already behind the power curve and I didn't want to do another 12 years of school to do it. So um, I ended up making the shift to business my last year of school and I started Casey Cattle Company three months before I graduated. And we bought this property about eight months after I graduated in 2016 there. So it would have been summer of 2017. And um, like I said, we, we concentrated pretty heavily on restaurants at that point of the business. And, you know, we made that shift to, to focusing on the end consumer uh, September of 2018. Yeah. And you have a staff, the three of you, I know, I mean, oh, you're a veteran, of course. Thank you for your service. Right. Are the other right. two staff members veterans? Yeah. So... Yeah, so we got we got Kale who came on right after the, both Kale and Tyler came on right after the hot dog event. Tyler had just transitioned out of the military in June, and he was going through the FBI pipeline to join the FBI. And he came on part time to just help pack orders uh, when when we had seventy five hundred packages of hot dogs to ship out. And uh, he loved the company, he loved what we were doing, and um, we ended up offering him a, a full time position, and he took it, and then. Uh, Kale came over from the North Kansas City Police Department in September, yeah. and before that, he was a what they call river rat, so he was on a small boat crew in the Navy. Wow. Yeah. So, it's a team of three. We're like the three musketeers right now. We really desperately need some part-time help, but we don't have the space to be able to do it responsibly with what's going on right now. So, so that's definitely a way it's impacting your business then, you'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we want to make sure we're taking care of the people working out here. And, you know, although it's stressful just having three of us, you know, maintaining this huge surge in business, uh, that's part, part of why it benefits myself as the business owner, uh, bringing on veterans because we're 
we're no strangers to hard work. So, you know, it's a little bit about the supply chain um, aspect of this. You're a small farmer, and I think that we're seeing a lot of people are um, maybe calling up farmers maybe for the first time and saying, hey, I need some ground beef. I want a front roast. I, I need milk. I need eggs. How's this working? Um, from your perspective, what does the supply chain look like for the long term? So I really hope farmers take advantage of it. Uh, it's a little more work, but there's a huge opportunity for farmers to develop a new business model right now and transition away from depending on commodity prices that have been unreliable for <laughs> the last 50 years. Um, but as far as the supply chain goes, um, the huge hiccup right now for everybody across the board is processing because you get, uh, especially for big processors, you have a, a dense amount of people in a small area that are producing the products that we enjoy on our grocery shelves. So um, we've seen a lot of that. We were in the process of moving to a larger processor in Omaha, Nebraska, when this thing happened. And uh, they're staying in business and they're keeping their doors open because they've been taking care of their employees since the beginning and providing the proper PPE and working with the reduced workforce. And, um, you know, his, his big hiccup right now is, is just trying to find the PPE, trying to find the face mask for employees and the hand sanitizer. And uh, I, last I had talked to him, which was last week, the National Guard for Nebraska was stepping in to start providing some of those items to make sure they kept their doors open. So our local one here in, yeah, exactly. Our local one here in Tremble, uh, Missouri, Paradise Locker Meats, um, they've done a fantastic job of mandating their own guidelines uh, before the state stepped in on anything and just taking care of their employees. They haven't had a single case of coronavirus and uh, they're doing a really fantastic job of, of uh, providing a clean quality product without putting their employees in danger. So. And you carry some of their pork products as well under the Phantasma label I saw. Is that continuing? Yeah. So we did that in the middle, middle of all this because like I said, their huge outlet was restaurants. So he was like, well, I got a lot of pork and you know, we were having we were having customers that are like, we can't find any protein on our shelves. And I was like, well, let's keep you in business, man. Let's add that to our website and push some of those products. So uh, we did and they, their pork is fantastic. Um, you know, I, I always try to try things before I, I sell them. And, um, you know, I was a little reluctant about selling bacon at $13.50 a pop because that's definitely not cheap, um, but it's, it's some of the best bacon I've ever had, so. But you also have a product, Wagyu, which is, you know, in most consumers' minds, I think is that very high-end, she-she, what is that? I only eat that at a very fancy restaurant. How do you get over that hump? And Or maybe people don't even care at this point. They're willing to pay whatever. Yeah, so <clears throat> um, we got that question a lot more probably when I first started the company of what the heck is Wagyu and why would I pay, you know, $45 for a strip steak? And uh that, that question has been reduced drastically over the last two years. I think it's a little more mainstream now. People understand that uh, it's expensive to buy for us and it's expensive to raise as well to feed out. There's just a lot that goes into to raising Wagyu. Um, so that question has kind of fallen off in the last couple of years. The, the biggest pushback we get is on our shipping, um, our shipping cost. And you know we just don't enjoy the same cost savings that Amazon does when they, they approach FedEx or UPS. So. You know, we got we got to charge what we got to charge. So we just try to encourage uh, consumers to buy less, uh, or excuse me, buy more less frequently. So, 
Is that one of the benefits of teaming up with somebody to sell their pork? Do you see other producers kind of potentially starting to look into that? Um, I've seen a lot of really cool pivots in the marketplace lately. And, you know, like our processor, when this happened, like I said, he was doing almost all restaurants. And within two week time frame, he had more business than he could handle just trying to keep up with some e-commerce companies that he brought on since that whole thing happened. On the agriculture side, unfortunately, you know, unless you have consumers knocking on your door, there's just not a really good outlet unless you already have the supply chain established to do what we're doing right now. So we're seeing a lot of farmers, especially in our area, that are, are taking a beating during this thing. I think we're also seeing a lot of CSAs, though, forming and people getting together and saying, okay, I can carry, I don't know, products for maybe six farmers and how to thin the I guess the key will be how do you get that into the neighborhood? How do you set up a distribution point? I think it, you know, COVID-19, it's, it's terrible and you hate to see America go through this, but I always think during these terrible events in, in this country, you always see such cool ideas develop out of it. I think that's probably one of the, one of the silver linings that you see in terrible situations, just like 9-11 or any other terrible event that's happened in America. There's always cool stories that emerge from it. So. Patrick, I was going to bring that up and ask you, a lot of people have been talking about this in relation to these defining moments for our society like 9-11. And from a veteran's perspective, you know, our veterans are used to facing adversity. Um, what would you say to the other business owners out there who are trying to find their way and just all of us really who are trying to make sense of what's going on? I think the I think the most important part is not to operate from a place of fear. Uh, you know, when you're in the military and you end up getting in a firefight, uh, there's no there's no thoughts running through the back of your mind about, oh, I might get shot, I might get killed. It's just accomplishing the mission, right? It's taking care of my brother to my left and my right and getting the job done. And you know, it's it's the same way in the business world or or just a regular civilian that's going through this right now. You can't. If you listen strictly to the news and you, you focus on all the bad parts that are happening right now, you miss all the good that's happening around you, all the small things that you're able to take advantage of during these terrible times. Like, you know, we just had a baby a couple of weeks ago and I never would have been able to spend as much time as I have in the last three weeks with them if it wasn't for COVID-19. So, you know, there's, there's always silver linings to these terrible things that happen. So. That's a really great way to look at it. Yeah. A growing family. That's, that's lovely. Yeah, congratulations. It was a little crazy going to the hospital during this oh, whole thing. Right. So I ended up scheduling an induction because they're talking about not letting me go. So. Yeah, that's right. One of the many ripple effects for sure. So you had a boy or a girl? Another boy. So we had two boys. We're, we're raising ranch hands around here. <laughs> Future Wait, now want to know the name. Tell us the name. It's, it's Rowan Patrick. Say that one more time. Cut out just a second. It's Rowan Patrick. Rowan Patrick. Beautiful. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, thank you so much for calling in. We know you've been busy, busy. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on and stay safe and healthy and optimistic. We'll get through this. Absolutely. absolutely. Thank you. Good to talk to you. All right. Take care of you guys. Matt Chateau from Chateau Milk joining us now on the podcast. Thanks for calling in. We know you guys 
really have seen a big uptick in business, right? Yeah, no, it's been it's been amazing. Honestly, it's uh, we've actually doubled in number of deliveries per week over the course of the past month. So uh, we're still trying to get our footing a little bit. Wow, you've doubled in the last month. We have, yeah, it's been crazy. So both from a standpoint of number of customers that we're delivering to, as well as number of employee count, as well as trucks, all kinds of stuff, so. You guys have been in the position to start to hire more folks on, is that right? We have, so we've brought on about 10 new folks um, over the course of the past six weeks and um, some great folks that are just, um, you know, coincidentally needing, needing work in the time in which that we're needing great people, so. so Walk us back for those who don't know the delivery system. You started that when and what have you been delivering up yeah. until COVID? Yeah, great question. So we started the company focused on trying to get a connection between great local products and great local people about five years ago. And um, during that process, we started by doing a trial test in Leavenworth, Kansas, and then have gradually just spread throughout the metro over the course of the past five years. Um, we service about 90, 95% of the entire Kansas City Metro being north to Kearney to south to about 175th Street, um, east to Blue Springs, Green Valley, and west to Shawnee, Lenexa. Um, our focus has been only local Kansas City products. Uh, we kind of got tired of the idea of people trying to say Omaha was local or Chicago was local. And so <clears throat> from the background of Milk Company, we thought, you know what, let's create the old fashioned milkman scenario and have some nostalgia and try to create that connection. And uh, um, we, I think we, we offer about 50 different local supplier products to our customers. Um, and that's just grown here in the last couple of weeks, trying to help some other folks that are obviously their main way of business, getting product to consumers has, has been stifled. It's, it's not a huge surprise when you say that your delivery requests have doubled. Um, how many people is that? How many customers a week are you guys delivering to right now? Yeah, so we're serving um, a little over 4,000 unique customers a week, um, and we've got another 1,000-plus that are on a wait list that are wanting to get onto our service. And so um, while we hate the fact that they're on a wait list, we just want to make sure that we do it right and we don't roll out to new customers and, and then, you know, slight our existing customers based upon quality or customer service. And we want to make sure our new customers get the true feel for what Chateau Home Delivery is and what we're based upon whenever we started our company. And what is different about Chateau Milk? The milk itself? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think a variety of things. Number one, come out to the farm. You can meet the cows that produce the milk that you enjoy on a daily basis. I mean, I think that's just the, you know, kind of the original upfront feel-good component of it. Not to mention the idea that our milk is the freshest that you can get in Kansas City on the shelves. So it can be from cow to store in as little as 12 hours. Um, we use glass bottles, not plastic. So the packaging doesn't impart any foreign odor or taste into the product. But glass bottles keeps it colder. Um, yeah, so those are a few points that we like to share. Talk to us a little bit about all the products though that people can order. You've, you've got so many, but like milk, cheese, what else? I mean. Yeah, so really most anything that you can imagine um, that you would think about enjoying on a, on a nightly basis at home. So whether you wanted pizza from Dish Pizza here in Liberty area, whether you want meat, we have a whole line of meats from Walker, um, located over near Smithville in Paradise, Missouri. Um, we've got um, quiche and some wonderful um, other items from Sea Jack's Quiche, as well as um, Fresh Out Foods, which is both owned by Ron over in Lenexa. Um, we've got coffees from Thou Mayest from downtown, as well as Messenger Coffee. We've got 
flour from Ibis bread or bakery. Um, gosh, Campo window eggs and, and chicken products. Um, yeah, so we have a whole host of things. We, we brought on a number of other things just during this time. So we now have a whole host of Kansas City barbecue. I mean, you know, f foolish of us not to have all those things originally, but um, we do now to try to help some of our friends at Q39 and other places. Um, so realistically, anything that you can think of, we also have um, our own Chateau Kitchen, which is a commercial kitchen here on site that we um, make our own chef prepared meals that uh, we distribute to customers as well. You saw both Jill and I, uh, our ears and our eyes perk and light up and we heard, I used to work at the dish and we still eat that pizza on a weekly basis. Oh yeah, uh, that was my very first job. I've <laughs> talked about it before because we love it so much. And Jill, you've talked about Sea Jack's quiches for a while. You think they're fantastic. I think they're really great. Well, I, yeah, I probably just discovered them in the last year or so. And I think they're made just a couple of miles from my home. So why it took me so long, but you know, it's a big, big wide world food, of food out there. So yeah. it takes a while to get around to all of them. So um, I, you're, you're able to order whatever you want whenever you want it, Matt. Is that right with Chateau? It's not like a CSA or some of this farmer deliveries where you're getting a sort of a set box. Once you get on the list, right? <laughs> Have to have to put that in there. Um, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So what we wanted to do when we started was create absolute flexibility. The only thing that's set in stone is, for example, if if you live in Lenexa, then um, you can get a, your delivery on a specific day, and so that is set in stone. Your milkman will be the same every week. Um, our intent is to you know create that relationship, that old-fashioned feeling of having a relationship between your milkman and the family. But um, that's really the only thing that you cannot change. Everything else, there's no minimums, there's no contracts, there's no anything as it relates to you know what it is you want to do. If you want to have a you know one piece of cheese delivered this week, that's great, go for it. Um, if you want to get your whole meals for your family and whatever for the next two weeks, you, you can do that as well. So Matt, I know that you guys started this delivery service long before any of this, and a lot of um, the message of the company seems to be going back to the way we did things maybe before. Um, what does it feel like for you to know that this is also a time when people are, are scared to go out in public and they really do need your services? They need uh, potentially food to be delivered so they don't have to leave their homes, especially if they're... Um, different reasons they may be vulnerable in the middle of this pandemic. What's that like to think about what your customers are going through? Yeah, you know, I, I think we're all in the same boat as it relates to um, wanting to limit the amount of time that, that we leave the house or leave our core or family or whoever it is that we're with. But I, I think to us, we're just grateful for the fact that people trust us, trust us as people, as a brand that can bring them good quality local products direct to their home. And that's, that's the premise that we started our company on five years ago and just happenstance that that's the premise that people are just craving right now during this time of need. Um, I will say that from our milkman's perspective to my perspective as being the owner, um, we get no greater pride in the idea when people call and they say, hey, we just, you know, we have somebody that has, you know, more, more at risk than than you know a normal person and we just really really want to get on your service and and i'm not excited because they're a new customer i'm excited because they trust us to bring them something in a time in which they're scared they're afraid um, now i hope that that time gets away from us much quicker than you know what we can imagine but um, in the time in which that we're dealing with it we're just so thankful and so proud of the fact that people look to us as a trusting brand that they think can get them what they need during this time 
what are some of the stories of customers you've heard that have just really tugged at you? Oh, you know what? It's, it's, it's really no different than, than normal time in, in the idea of whether it's little kiddos that, you know, love the perspective of just waking up to plaster their face on a window to see the milkman come and deliver the stuff that they enjoy. And then they're the first ones out the door to grab the milk of their choice out of the box or, or whether it is, I mean, we've had numerous customers. We had one today that called and said, Hey, you know what? <clears throat> we have specific desires as it relates to our delivery for today, because we are an at-risk family. I think they had some elderly folks within their home and they were saying, you know, can you do this and our typical is we deliver to a front porch and whatever and we're like yeah absolutely we'll do whatever it is that we can do to make you feel more comfortable more at home and so you know just hearing them say you know what we we really wouldn't be able to get the food get the products that we need but for your service and you know again that's a feel-good story for us but we're just so thankful we can do it for our customers and how have procedures changed for delivering speaking of that i mean do we see the Milkman with a mask now and gloves, I assume? Yeah, so that has changed, right? And, and we're both from the standpoint of delivery as well as from in our, in our warehouse and in our offices, things have changed dramatically. And so, um, you know, we, we have encouraged our customers on their end to be much more diligent in washing bottles and making sure that they're put in an appropriate place whenever they're left out. Um, our handling of those and everything else going from home to store back to farm is, is much different. Um, to your point about just simply wearing gloves, disinfectant on the trucks, um, hand wipes, all that kind of stuff is totally new. Um, but you know what, to a certain extent, it's probably things that we should have been thinking about and doing originally. Um, and it takes something that's as catastrophic as this to make us realize that. When you do have, I'm just thinking about the five or six Chateau bottles empty sitting on top of my fridge right now that we need to take back to the store. Can your delivery um, folks leave that for the, do your customers leave the empty bottles for your employees to pick up? Absolutely. So um, we encourage all of our customers to rinse and wash their bottles um, before their delivery night or delivery day, leave them out next to their porch box and your milkman will collect those, get a credit to your account and make sure that that is taken off of what it is for you that you owe for that delivery for that week. Yeah. Do you think that after um, COVID you will retain all the customers that you have or do you think there'll be a drop off at some point? I wish you could tell me the answer to that. Um, and actually, I think I just think- Because it's hard to ramp up, isn't it? And then to go backwards if it doesn't I don't continue. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? So we've invested a ton in more truck. So we, we were running five um, prior and now we're running um, close to 10. We have another one in, in the way in June. And through this whole process, the conversation in my own mind with my family and with some of my employees has been, you know, what will the contraction be over time? Um, I'm not foolish enough to think that there won't be contraction, but I'm not smart enough to know what that contraction will be. Um, I'm hoping that the vast majority of the customers that we're able to serve during this um, tough time will see the added value that we provide in their lives, both from a product quality standpoint, as well as um, through the customer service that we offer and just the convenience that they'll uh, choose to stay on. But again, I mean, we, we will definitely see some changes over the course of the coming months. Now, with that said, still having, you know, a thousand plus customers on a wait list, um, you know, changes a little bit in, in the idea of not just we have that backstop as far as folks that want to be on the wait list, but, you know, to the degree in which how many of them will still want to get on the service once we get to them on the wait list. And we're having to balance that as far as I don't want to be foolish and say, okay, everybody's off a wait list tomorrow just to be able to 
selfishly serve them. I want to do it, number one, right, like I said earlier, provide them the quality of products and service that we're known for. Um, but at the same time, I want to be smart about the idea that, you know, it is, it is good to get them on whenever, whenever we have the opportunity to do so. Matt, you want to talk about some of the people you've been able to bring on. How many folks have you, how many jobs have you been able to add in the last month or so? And um, without telling us like, you know, their names, uh, kind of the industries that they might have come from. Yeah, so we brought on 10 folks. Um, and so industry is a great question. So I've got one guy that's a math teacher in a local high school. Um, I've got um, one guy that's a student. One person worked in uh, a, a local gym. Um, a young lady that's an actor. Um, who else do we have? I'm trying to think. Um, we have a musician. We have a lady that works at a restaurant. And then we have a gentleman that was a sales executive with a, with a, a betting company. Just sitting here thinking about how all of those industries were affected differently, Jill. It, the ripple effects of this are just huge. It is huge. I wanted to ask too about grocery stores because so much of your product is in so many grocery stores in Kansas City. Um, do you see a drop in sales there or does that continue to be a strong area for you as well? Yeah, so we're fortunate from the milk company perspective that you see all the stories about people across the country dumping milk and all that stuff. Um, most of the folks that were doing that were with national cooperatives that were used to selling to industries like institutions and schools and whatever else it may be corporate cafeterias and for us thankfully we've never had to go down that path so everything that we've done on the milk company side has either been distributed through our direct on-farm retail location which has struggled obviously because we don't really have the traffic that we had once and we've also shut it down to a certain degree but um but the grocery stores has really been our main focus on the milk company side in addition to home delivery and we really not, have not seen that much of a, a change on the grocery side now in the first couple of weeks whenever you saw the the peak of everybody running to the store because of the pandemic and stay at home and all that stuff we did see a considerable increase but in all honesty that's not good for us either from a from a small family dairy perspective because we don't we don't thrive in a world where where there is a huge demand for a product that we're not used to because the fact of the matter is just like Campo Lindo eggs we can't talk our cows into producing more milk today than they did last week um, and it's also not easy for us to just call up a you know local farm and say hey we want to buy your cows because everything that we sell to our consumers comes only from cows on our farm so um, that created a little bit of a problem for us but um, overall it's it's pretty status quo at the farm has it impacted um, your cheese making ice cream any of the other milk related products at this point yeah so it has and and that's kind of uh, a self-created problem the idea that we created cheese making originally as a as a kind of a, a flat line opportunity for us um, because what we saw for the first five years we weren't very smart on the uptake so it took us a while to catch on but we would go into the summers cows production would would go down right because of the stress of the heat and everything else and so then we would be we would be short product and so we created cheese making as a balance for that so we always have or we typically always have more product than what we need um, on a daily basis and so if we if production goes down or there's a huge spike in demand we just take that milk out of what would otherwise go to making cheese and put it back in the fluid milk side and then hopefully you know we have the opportunity we've bought some time that we can um, kind of just get back to normal. Would you have had um, 
any inkling in 2003 when you started putting milk in bottles again where you'd be <laughs> all these years later? <laughs> We've said that all along. I mean, the growth of the milk company and kind of our brand evolution and everything else, it's, it's been really crazy and we can take very little credit for it. I mean, I, our customers have been tremendous and, and we, I think, started at the right time, but we've just, it, it's, it's been pretty unbelievable. I can remember when people thought that crazy dairy that's going to put milk back in bottles, who will ever buy that? <laughs> right. well, I remember the grocery store saying, who in the heck ever wants to take back glass bottles? So yeah, no, it was all the way around. And I remember us saying, you know what, is this really going to work? But, um, but thankfully, uh, customers have taken to us and, and we, we love them for it. How many bottles, how many gallons of milk does Chateau sell in a year? Oh my gosh, that's above my pay grade. I, you know <laughs> what, I don't know that I could tell you off the top of my head. Um, I do know one stat that's irrelevant to your question, but I'll throw it out. So on Earth Day, we posted a thing that since we started, we've saved about 60 million bottles um, from going to area landfills due to being returned glass versus plastic. So I guess we could probably back into that number a little bit by using basic math, how many years we've been in business, but I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head today. A lot of glass bottles. A lot of glass bottles, yeah. Well, Matt, it's a bit of a comfort to talk to a local business who is doing better in these really tough times. So we really appreciate you talking to us. Well, no, it's an absolute pleasure. And I, on behalf of our family, and, and I think that you guys probably agree with this too, um, we've had a lot of people reach out to us, uh, customers saying thank you for what we do. And I just want to make sure to reiterate, we're so thankful for what you guys are doing about shedding light on local companies and kind of the struggles that they're going through. And, you know, we're, we're not alone in the idea that we're, we're doing good, but still to your point, Jill, with the question, I mean, you know, we have no idea what the next two months are going to be. And my hope is that contraction is not too bad or I'll be dealing with what they're dealing with now. <laughs> Sleep might be a long way off, but... <laughs> We, we'll, we'll hope that it goes well for you and in a couple of months you'll actually be sleeping soundly because all 10 trucks will be out on the road keeping busy. We hope so. Um, Alicia, thanks so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Food Hub is to start out for listeners who may not know and then I know you guys are doing um, some special outreach for COVID-19 and how that's working for you. Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, the Kansas City Food Hub is a cooperative association of now 19 growers. Uh, we are in our sixth year of operations, formed by some of the growers that are still involved, many of the growers that are still involved. Uh, we are farmer owned and farmer run, so uh, I'm the sales director, I'm also um, part of the Food Hub, my farm, Casey Farm School at Gibbs Road, is uh, one of the grower members. We traditionally have been serving the middle market. So we go after corporate cafeterias, re larger restaurants, not so much the mom and pop little guys. Uh, school cafeterias, we have a couple contracts with school cafeterias, um, and then some grocery stores. We have always sought to work with farmers, not compete against farmers. So we're always welcoming new growers to join us. Uh, that market pretty much went away a month ago. Um, restaurants not opening, schools closed, corporate offices closed or nearly closed. So we scrambled a bit, you know, and um, thank goodness for social media. I just put a question out on social media who might be interested 
and developing um, a neighborhood drop site. And the response has been incredible. I think local farmers across the board have seen incredible um, increased interest in their produce this year. So we've put together um, an idea called a neighborhood farm share. And it's basically, um, we're inviting people to pull together their own neighborhoods, designate or step up to being a coordinator and designate a drop site. And then we will drop um, 10 boxes or more. So as long as you have 10, box, 10 people participating in your neighborhood, we'll come by, drop a box um, every week. We're doing a 10 week session. Okay, I was gonna say, is it like a typical CSA where you sign, sign on for time um, or is it just during the COVID crisis? Well, we hope to continue this, you know, now that we've got our foot into this model, we like it and I think we're serving a need that is a growing need. Uh, and again, working with farmers and inviting them to participate. In fact, uh, there are probably four farms that aren't part of the hub that are supplying us right now. So we're able to sell produce for other from other farmers. Um, and then we do hope to continue it after COVID-19, at least this part is over, the 10-week sessions. Uh, I won't call it a traditional CSA in that that's almost a sacred term, right, to um, mm -hmm. this community, but we definitely call it a farm share. So it's prepaid share delivered to the door of whatever is in abundance at the time. Is this a new kind of hybrid of what the farmer's market could turn into. And the reason I say that is because we went to ours last weekend and not everybody, but a lot of the vendors pre-order was the name of the game. Yeah. We thought we went early um, and then we didn't go early enough to get some of the stuff that we were looking for. So do you kind of see that evolving and, and sticking around that way? I, I think that many people agree that, yes, that's, that's probably gonna stick around. Uh, our farm and others are doing a pre-order transplant sale. So uh, everything that we can think of that we can let people order ahead of time from their living room and then drive by in safety and making sure everybody's safe uh, for pickup. Yeah, I kind of do. You know, we maybe have been going toward that trend for a while. Zoom, right? We know, we know how to Zoom and we already have websites and many of the websites have sales portals on them. So we have been preparing even though maybe we didn't know we were. I think that's such an interesting point because I can remember back when I was food editor at the Star and just starting to work with farmers and this would have been like 2000, 2001 and I was doing a lot of stories and trying to get a hold of a farmer on a cell phone was, was nearly impossible. Didn't know what email was, um, really didn't know how to market themselves, websites, those kinds of things. And now look where we are. It's really pretty mind-blowing. Your job in the field hasn't probably changed that much, but what re it is required for the technology to get the word out is, has just been amazing. It has been amazing. Uh, my work in the field um, has evolved over these past 10 years. Um, I, I think what has really helped us is that um, I can be in touch from my living room to a, a grower in Leavenworth County in Poganopsy, you know, who, are, who is out in this field. And so I can ask him in real time, how much arugula are you really gonna have for a Monday? And he can best guess it really close immediately. So uh, as far as moving food around and making sure that we can fill those boxes, um, I'm grateful for the technology that that split second responsiveness that we have now. 
Absolutely. Have you seen lots of new customers who really haven't done this kind of buying before, or are you just sort of rerouting what might have gone to your other producers? Um, I think we're seeing a lot of new, uh, a lot of new customers, and there's a little bit of peer pressure going on. I think you know uh, the neighborhood coordinators most likely have been involved in local food, have been a market customer of someone or at least a time or two in the past, but they're pulling on people who uh, don't have experience with local food. Um, maybe, uh, maybe it's the first time I had a phone call yesterday with a woman who joined up in the neighborhood farm share program that Sherry's car at the brick is, uh, has started. And we had some conversation about eggs and the eggs delivery that she was hoping for. Um, but then she went on to tell me how she created a wonderful dish with bok choy. And um, she definitely uh, noticed a difference. And her husband remarked on how wonderful this bok choy was, how different it was than what she had, what they had cooked before. How much? Of yeah, she said she's a, we've won her over. I was going to say, how many of the customers, the new customers you've seen, do you see sticking with this kind of shopping? Or do you think there might be a mixture of going back to the grocery store and adding this in in the future? I, I think it would be similar to the CSAs. CSA has about a 30% fall off rate. And, and I think it's up in a lot of ways up to us right? Um, to communicate with the new customers, to share the best of our products, and then to provide the convenience that um, they maybe can't get in the grocery store. So the neighborhood delivery, I need to start um, pulling together some recipes. So Jill, maybe you can help me with that. Uh, and then the connection, that was another conversation we had this week, how important passing along this information is and that if we are able to tell the story of local food and farmers through the weekly communication then uh, we will have gone a long way in really shifting the mindset shifting the way the tide is coming in yeah what happens when the people you used to serve come back online and then you've also got all these new um, people who hopefully want to continue with you. Is this, is this something that farmers can handle in our area? I believe farmers in this area, my experience goes 11 years back and what I have seen over the past 11 years is that farmers want to grow produce and want to sell produce and have been scaling up to meet that demand. It's really interesting um, the way the timing happened for all of this, uh, we we had a couple of weeks to ramp up these neighborhoods. And as the neighborhoods came online, we had some produce. We had enough produce. Now, as more neighborhoods are coming online, more farmers have more produce. And then I think by the time that the other buyers come on looking for product, we will be in the middle of the season. And so um, our bigger producers will have more product. And so um, there, there's a lot of um, sadness around what has happened and what is happening to people. Um, lots of income, lots of jobs and illness, lots of loved ones. Uh, but I'm feeling, and I think farmers are feeling a lot of gratefulness in that we um, are able to step up and that we've, and the timing has been good for us too, that we've been able to meet this market. And then as far as um, the new, the other customers coming on, the old customers coming on too, I, I do believe that this new product that we've been able to pull together, we're pulling other farmers on, we are tracking more farmers 
to this idea and that hopefully uh, we will continue to work together. So we just bumped up to 19 growers just this week. Um, and we, we look to work together. Many of the growers who join the food hub, um, they, they want to sell product, but the first thing that they say when they join the food hub is they want to belong to a group. They want to belong to a group to work with, to work together, to learn from, to source from, um, to not be out there alone trying to figure it all out. Uh, so do you focus on organic or uh, grass-fed beef or, you know, what are the guidelines for the farmers that are in your group? We are 19 growers, 19 opinions, 19 ways of running a business and 19 ways of um, uh, communicating. Uh, so what we do is aim to feed people and we are meeting farmers and welcoming them in in their operation. We are small to medium sized farmers. Um, our farm is three acres, it's an urban farm. Um, our biggest grower is 50 acres of vegetables out in um, Richmond, Missouri, uh, Morier Farm, and then everything in between. We are 12, 13 uh, certified organic or non-certified but still organic farms, and then uh, five or six uh, what you what would be classified as conventional because there's either you know in wholesale organic or conventional uh, but are still small medium sized family owned family run sustainable in the sense that these people are looking after land that is in their charge mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, neighborhoods where are you where are you finding a lot of new neighbors to take on this venture it's a, it's a lot of like pure Kansas City style, right? Uh, word of mouth. So uh, first two neighborhoods, Volker and East Brookside, long-term relationships that I've had with individuals that have tried or grown local food themselves and have grown their neighbors. Uh, so those were the first two that started. Uh, Longfellow is coming on. Waldo is coming on. I hear it with even two drop sites. Um, there's a new group in um, um, like 129th and Switzer. There's a group up in the village of Shoal Creek. There's a new group at um, like Holmes and Gregory. And the name is um, Rock Hill Gardens is the name of that group. Um, and then we're also feeding a lot of senior housing complexes. Um, through a relationship that we've been building over the last couple of years with a group called Horizons Housing Foundation. They're out of St. Louis, but they own and operate about eight housing complexes in the Kansas City area. And we're feeding seniors, low-income seniors in those complexes. Wow. Fascinating how wide, wide ranging you are. Can you give us an idea of sort of we, we know that CSAs are what is available, but kind of what does that mean for people who might not be familiar with that? Sure. So this week, uh, test my memory, is a lettuce mix from Mellow Fields in Lawrence, spinach from Moon on the Meadow in Lawrence. Um, some of the rest of the lettuce mix came from Greengate Farm in Wheatland, Missouri, radishes from Green Thumbs Up, in Taganoxie. We had sprouts from Beloved 2 moving to Lawrence area. We had some kale from Taganoxie. 
we had some hydroponic lettuce heads from urban farming guys um, through the Mort Collective Farm. So that might be six. I'm probably missing a couple of items. Very nice. I just listening to the farm names, I was so intrigued. What did you say? Moon over meadow? No, moon over meadow. Isn't so dreamy, right? <laughs> love it. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I, I apologize if you said this already, but uh, a neighborhood drop site, does that mean there's one spot? You're not delivering at each individual's door. That's right. That was the one way we saw that it would be we'd be able to afford that delivery because we are so such bootstrapped uh, that we can um, afford to drop at one site. And then what we're seeing happen from that one site is like there's some community organizing going on. That's a byproduct from this, um, but a good one. So yeah, we need 10 people to band together. We'll drop in your neighborhood pretty much wherever you say. Uh, the drop site hosts provide a table, some kind of roof over the table in case it's raining or too sunny. And then that's about it. Very low contact. Orders are already paid for. There's a list. People come and get the boxes and be yeah. on their way. And do you have a set price for the boxes? So 10 week is $250 plus tax. Okay. And there's between six and eight items. You know how some items, strawberries are coming soon. That week will probably be a six item bag. Strawberries are not cheap. And some CSAs also include meat or eggs or milk or different things like that. Is that part of it or are you just sticking with produce? We got you covered, Jill. Okay. Uh, so let me see. We have a new grower, uh, Skyview Farm and Creamery, providing uh, a raw milk cheese share. Wheatfields Bakery is providing a bread share. Um, Flavor Market, one of our members, has a gluten-free bakery down by Powell Gardens, right on 50 Highway, and she's providing a gluten-free and or a keto share. We have meat, chicken, so beef, chicken, and pork. Uh, they're not listed yet. They're a little trickier to, uh, to sell because they're coming, well, a number of things frozen is one of the issues. And then we're also doing some ferments and again, I'm probably missing something else. It's all listed a on wide, our website. A wide variety, really. Yeah, farmers are ready for this, right? We want to sell what we've got. <laughs> and I have the easy job. You know, like growing it is the hard part. Um, I, and I've done that for years and um, I'm grateful to be moving it around now, but definitely growing it is the hard part. Uh, the moving it around is a little easier. Hmm. And people want the product. Alicia, people get hungry. Right. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Thanks for doing this and getting the word out to more, more Absolutely. people. And, and they can get a hold of you where? So many ways. You can always find me at Gibbs Road. So um, caseyfarmschool.org is our farm. Um, the Kansas City Food Hub. Uh, I think the website is it's a little bit longer. Thekcfoodhub.com. I'm on Facebook, pretty loud on Facebook, so you can find me there. You could always um, ask Beth Bader. She knows where I am. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That's yeah. a good friend of mine. So yeah. thank, you, thank you so much for jumping on a call. And I guess we need to let you get back and organize all those food drop-offs. Again tomorrow. We're doing it again tomorrow. So thank you. Thank you both. Thanks, Alicia.